I just heard yesterday that Overeaters Anonymous membership increased 50% in the last two days. Last night, the Butterball Hall of Fame called me, wanted to place my name for nomination this year. I turned him down. Yesterday, I went to the ACL to have some blood drawn. They got two vials of gravy. That's all they could get. You see, if you've been a a late-night person or an early-morning person, it's not unusual to see some of the infomercials that are on television today, particularly those ones that tell you that they can revolutionize your life. Take this pill once a day, your life will change. Fifteen minutes on this ab cruncher, and you will be a new person in 30 days. Try this 15-minute workout video for three months, 90 days, money back guaranteed, and you will become a new person. And they will even show you pictures of people before and after. Now, I'm convinced that that guy that does the ab cruncher, he started when he was six months old. (laughs) And he's still working at it. Because it just doesn't seem to be that easy. But the reality of it is this. They are trying to sell you on the idea that if you will do certain things, your life will be revolutionized that a change will come and transformation will come that will change you for the rest of your life. If you have been with us the last five Sundays and you've been a part of the Join in the Journey series, you know that we have been talking about people who joined Jesus in the journey and something changed in their life. Pastor Jason began the series on Nicodemus, a man who had been used to being a part of a religion, now encountered Jesus, and he began a life of a relationship. You, under, you heard the story or the message of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And the story of that message was that this woman was able to leave her wounds and her shame of the past and become a witness for Jesus. You heard the message involving the impotent man, the man at the pool of Bethesda, 38 years trying to get into the pool, trying to receive this healing, until one day Jesus came along and asked him, do you want to be well? And this man left a life of misery and began to live a life of mercy. Last Sunday, we heard about the woman who was accused of adultery, and the men brought her to Jesus and standing around, and as Pastor mentioned, Jesus wrote something in the sand, and we really don't know what it was. It could have been the Ten Commandments. It could have been the sins of those men that had brought this woman to Jesus. Or he really could have just been writing, it's none of your business. But the thing is, the the accusers left, And Jesus gave her an acquittal. You see, things happen when we join Jesus in the journey. Things begin to take place. And this morning, we're going to talk about another man, 
a man who came to Jesus. And probably way before this song that we sang today was known, he began to say, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. And he came to Jesus, but he came to Jesus because of a family crisis. You see, what he was coming to Jesus for was the healing of his son. But what he ended up getting was the healing of his soul. And sometimes in our life, we come to Jesus and we don't realize that our problem is not really our problem. We come to Jesus thinking that finances is our problem. We come to Jesus thinking that the disease or the infirmity is our problem. But you're going to find out this morning about this man who came to Jesus and not only was his son healed, but also his whole family became followers of Jesus Christ. But if we're here today and we want Jesus to rescue us, and how many of you know that everyone in this building, including myself, we need rescued? It's not just at our point of conversion, but every day of our life, we need Jesus to come and rescue us from something. A bad attitude, a wrong spirit, a habit, a behavior, something in our life. Every day we sing this song, I need thee, oh, I need thee. But if we want Jesus to rescue us, we need to know that we have a need. We need to be aware of the need. August the 5th, 2010, in the country of Chile, and most all of you are familiar with this story. August the 5th, 2010, 33 miners were trapped in a mine almost a half a mile underground for 69 days. The rescue efforts were humongous. Everyone was turning their attention, and on October the 12th, 2010, the last of the miners came to the surface of the earth rescued. But I can tell you something. On August the 5th, 2010, there were 33 men that knew they needed to be rescued. There were 33 men that had no doubt unless somebody would intervene, their lives were going to be lost. The interesting part of this whole story as I was looking at it was there was a man, he was the 34th, the 32nd man to be rescued. This man, while he was down in the mine, requested them to send 33 Bibles down into the mine and he was holding a Bible study. While they were there, captives of the earth, every one of them had a Bible and they were turning into Scripture and, and, and it doesn't say what all they were studying, but I'm sure that they were studying the promises of God that he would never leave them or forsake them, that he would give them peace in a time of trouble. But you see, these men knew they needed rescue. And I have a sense in my heart this morning that there perhaps are people in this sanctuary at this moment that you do not know that you need to be rescued. Because in your estimation, in your evaluation, you feel as though that you're a pretty good person. 
You don't drink, smoke, or chew. You don't beat the wife or kick the dog. You work hard every week, and you're just a pretty good... You don't even cheat on your golf score. You're a pretty good guy. But I have news for you today. If you have not come to the knowledge, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, if you've not taken an opportunity to say, I need thee, Lord, I need thee, and confess our sins and ask God to forgive us of our sins, you need to be rescued. You're no different than anyone else. And God is here today, and he's able to do that. In Scripture, we're going to go to John chapter 4, and there are a couple of verses I want to begin with this morning that identifies with the need to be aware of the need. In John chapter 4, it says this, Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Now let's look at this type of man. The scripture says that he was a royal officer. He had somewhat amount of wealth and position. In his position, he commanded respect. So in our way of thinking, he pretty well had it all. But here's the thing that we have to catch today. You may be better off, but you are no better. You see, we can sit here and evaluate all of the financial abilities that we have. And maybe, I, I know I have, not maybe, I have two cars. The last time I looked, I've got two cars. And maybe you have three. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're no better off. Perhaps you're sitting here today and you say, but Pastor Don, you don't know my financial portfolio. I have IRAs and I have 401ks and I have retirements and I have my social security and I have rental property incomes. I have all of this, but I'm saying to you today, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your savior, you are no better off than me. Because the scripture says we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the things that we amass and accumulate on this earth will not go with us after this life. So it's important this morning when we begin this message is that we have to know and be aware of the need that we have. Now here's the problem that the man had. First of all, he had to walk between 20 and 25 miles from Capernaum to Cana. He came to Jesus and he was saying to Jesus, I want you to go pray for my son because, and we don't know, scripture doesn't really tell us, but either he had heard about the miracles or he had talked to some of the people who had been a part of the miracles. But either way, he came to Jesus believing that this is my last hope. This is, what I have to, this is what I have to put my faith in, and my son is dying. You see, oftentimes it takes a crisis to bring us to Christ. It doesn't always have to be that way, but many times that's the way it works. So here's a man that has come to Jesus. 
commands respect, has wealth, has authority, but his son is dying. I don't know about you, but I can relate to that a little bit. Perhaps you remember when I've shared with you before, it wasn't necessarily, well, in a way it was an Abraham and Isaac experience. Kirby, who was our firstborn, was just a few months old. And around 1 o'clock, 1.30 in the morning, he was in his bedroom, and Barbara and I was, was in the next bedroom, and I heard this heavy breathing and this gasping for air. And, and I went in, and I looked down at Kirby, and he, he, it was like, I can't get my breath, I can't get my breath. And he's heaving, and he's gasping. And, and I don't know why it was that I didn't jump and call 911, and I don't know why. I, I don't think I even really called my wife. But I'm standing over this crib, and it comes to me, if I choose to take him, will you be willing to let him go? And I'm standing there, the first boy, my namesake, loved him deeply, and I remember at that particular time saying, as God is my witness, God, if you choose to take my son tonight, that's okay with me because I know that you are in control. You see, we come to the places in our life, and perhaps this royal officer was no different. His son probably meant everything to him. And he's coming to Jesus saying, I've tried everything, but nothing seems to be working. And now I'm coming to this one that people say can heal the sick and can do miracles. And the family crisis is what brought him to Jesus. You see, here's where I think we need to be in our life. When we recognize our need for Jesus, pride will not stop us. People will not discourage us, and popularity will not concern us. When we become desperate enough, and we have seen this in the many years of ministry that I've been in, I've had people come to my office or come to our church, and they knock on the door, and they're very blatant in the very up front, and they're saying, I need food, and I need shelter, and I need clothing, and I need, I need, I need, I need, and I'm desperate. I don't know where else to turn. I've come here to have my needs met. But isn't it interesting that when it comes to our spiritual needs, we become hesitant. If, if our worship leader, our pastor, Jack, were to say, this morning, we, if you have a need, we want you to come to this altar and just come to Jesus and believe and trust that he's going to meet your need. And we are reticent, we are hesitant, we sit back afraid of what somebody else is going to think. Friend, I have to tell you this morning, there have been times in my life when the need has been so great, it doesn't matter if I'm popular or not, it doesn't matter what people think, it doesn't matter that I have to swallow my pride, I come to Jesus and say, dear God, I need you right now. That's where we're at. And that's where our world is at. That's where our community is at. So when we're joining in this journey and we're thinking about being rescued, my question back to you this morning is this. Do you know that you have a need to be rescued? 
Do you know that Jesus is able to rescue you? Because when we come to this place, it's now the time that we exercise our faith. That's a big thing, faith. But it doesn't take a whole lot of it to exercise. Because you see, faith in a real Jesus will bring rewards. Faith in a real Jesus will bring rewards. Look at, uh, with me at John chapter 4, verse 48. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, You may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. That's faith. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. Because sometimes I believe that our human nature brings to us this idea that unless I see it, unless I can feel it, unless I can sense it, it really must not be of God. But I have to tell you, friends, there are times in our lives that we will walk sometimes days, months, or perhaps years, and not really sensing or feeling that God has got this whole thing under control, but it's a walk of faith. It's one of those, I know that I know that I know that I know that I know. It's one of those times where that I realize in the middle of the night that God gave me a promise. I realized that sometime in my devotion, don't remember when it was, but I opened up and there was the promise of God. And God is not a man that he should lie. So I'm going to stand on that promise. I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight, knowing that one of these days that he will rescue me. And if he doesn't, I will be with him forever and ever and ever. That's faith. And I know it's, it's, it's our human nature to want to see the signs and wonders. And I believe in signs and wonders. I do not believe that day has passed. I believe that we are still living in a day that God wants to demonstrate signs and wonders. But sometimes it comes to this place where we have to choose between insisting on evidence and exercising faith. It comes to a place in our life where we have to understand the external or visible manifestation does not have to be there before I believe the Word of God. In the years of ministry and the times I've spent on the mission field, I've seen instantaneous manifestations and miracles. I remember in Indonesia, we were there with 365 pastors doing a conference. The church was packed. And if you've never been to some of these third world countries, you know that, that when it takes them two weeks to get there by boat and by walking and by trying to bum rides on these buses, it takes them two weeks. They don't want to come in for an hour service. And so we're there an hour and two hours and three hours. That's before we start the prayer lines. But I remember so specifically that this mother brought her son up and his hand was withered. It was turned in, the wrist and the fingers was turned in and he held it against his chest. And we went down and we had anointed them with oil 
And of course, we were believing that when we anoint them with oil, the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. And we were believing for that hand to be straightened out and loosened in the name of Jesus. And you know what? It didn't happen. It didn't happen. And we prayed for many, four or 500 people that night. But I remember this, and it still excites me. I remember standing on the platform, finishing my message, getting ready to do a benediction and a blessing. And I look over to my right out of the corner of my eye, and I see this mother holding her son, and he's doing this. Oh, you see, I could have said when I anointed that boy and prayed for him and nothing happened, I could have said, well, I guess tonight's not your night. But somewhere that mother had enough faith that she continued to believe and believe and believe. And by the end of that service, that little fellow's hand was totally normal and moving around just like mine was. See, we don't always have to see a manifestation to exercise our faith. Sometimes God is asking us to exercise our faith in order to see a manifestation. And this was what was happening with the royal official. Jesus said, paraphrasing it, go home. Your kid's going to be okay. So the man turned and he left. You see, we come to this place in our faith that it's not faith itself that brings the relief. It's in the power of the one that we believe in. See, faith alone is not going to get me very far. But faith in a God that can move mountains will get me far. Faith alone will not help in those difficult times, but a faith in a God who has control of my life and the steps are ordered of God and his hand is upon me, that kind of faith will take care of me in the darkest times. See, it's that faith of knowing that God is God is God. And I'm not going to take time this morning to give you a whole list of my experiences, but I can tell you this. The things that I preach and the things that connect with my heart is is things that I have experienced and Barbara and I have experienced in our life. Now, it wasn't, it it was even before my experience with Kirby in the crib with giving him and surrendering him to God, when he was born, he did not have a soft spot in his head. And the doctor said at three to six months, we're going to have to operate. And if we don't, it's going to be like what, what we know as, as like, a, like a banana head and it's going to grow in a distorted form. We took him to church. We anointed him with oil. We prayed for him and never thought anything else about it. God, you're in control. We went back two weeks later for an x-ray and the doctor came and showed us the x-ray and said, here's the soft spot. No operation is needed. See, we didn't because that didn't open up that night when there was a laying on of hands and anointing of oil. We didn't say, I guess God doesn't love me anymore. We just kept saying, God, he's yours, he's yours, he's yours, he's yours. You are in control. And we went through several things like that. 1983, my wife was diagnosed with a vascular blood disease called Takiasus arteritis. Never heard of it before. Probably why is because it was prevalent in women only 
Japanese origin between 35 and 45. Well, my wife didn't fit any of that criteria. But it's where the vascular blood vessels close off, shut down, affects the lung. And we took her to Indiana University Medical Center, and the doctors did not have an answer. The doctors could not find out the cause. They would bring her into this auditorium and set her down on a chair and the doctors would come in and the interns would come in and they all had her her profile in front of them and they would flip through the pages and they would ask her questions. How do you feel now? How did you feel then? And, and, and I am not exaggerating. When this hit Barb, it would take her literally 15 minutes to walk from one side of this stage to the other. That's all that she could travel. And on top of that, the doctors are saying, by the way, we have to tell you this. People with this disease, the longevity is two years. Two years is about all she will have left because this is just the way this disease works in the body. The body shuts down, the organs shut down, and life as you know it is over. Well, we had two kids, and I wasn't ready to give up my wife yet. And we began to pray and pray and pray and pray. And I tell you this, 28 years later, she's still with me. And every day that she gets up is a miracle for us. And we never take that for granted. Because here's the thing, when we begin to pray, and I begin to pray for my wife, I said, God, you understand, you know I would be a lousy father. You know my kids would starve and run naked if it was left up to me. God, I need her, oh, I need her. Every hour, I need her. But we prayed, the church prayed, the churches around the country prayed, and and we don't have an answer for this. And yes, there are residual effects of that, but every day, in fact, this last Friday, we spent five and a half hours at Splice Lagoon, and my wife is going down the tubes, and she's playing in the wave pool. See, we're not ready to call it quits yet because the Scripture says that it's appointed and a man wants to die. That's in God's hands. Until that happens, our faith is going to grow and strengthen and become strong because we know that there's a God in heaven who has come to rescue us, not only from our sins, but our sicknesses and our disease and all the infirmities that we have. That's the kind of God we serve. You see, healing of the body often leads to the healing of the soul. And when we believe in Jesus as a healer, oftentimes it leads others to have faith in Him as a Savior. Here's the concern that I have today. Too many people want Jesus to rescue them with no strings attached. God, come and get me out of this mess, but I don't want to change anything. God, I'm I'm down in this pit. I'm in this financial hole. And I, yeah, God, I've even been through FPU. Pastor John couldn't help me. Why? 
Because God, I want you to get me out of financial hole, but I want to continue my spending habits like I've always been doing. No strings attached. God, I've got this thing in my body going on, and the doctor says, if I will change this behavior, if I will change this eating habit, that it's going to correct itself. But God, I don't want to change that eating habit. I just want you to come and rescue me. No strings attached. God, I've got this relationship that's just about to bust apart. And I know that in order for it to be reconciliation, I'm going to have to go to that person and admit I was wrong. And I'm going to have to apologize. And I'm going to have to ask forgiveness. God, I don't want to do that. So, dear Jesus, come and rescue me. But I don't want to do these things. How many know that God's love is unconditional, but his promises are conditional? And if we're looking for God to rescue us today, No matter what it is, no matter what your situation is, if you're looking for God to rescue you today, there's something you're going to have to do on your part as you join this journey. But we come to this place where we say, God, I just want you to come into my life and take care of this mess, but no strings attached. And I'm sensing this morning, and I'll mention this in just a little bit, but today's not a coincidence. The songs that John picked today, the word that pastor gave you today was setting the table for the message that God had for you today. And if you leave here not changed, it's not God's fault. It's because you're not willing to cut those strings and to let Jesus rescue you from where you are. You see, a spark of faith can turn into a flame of faith. Say, but Pastor Don, I I don't have the faith like Pastor Jack does. I don't have the faith like Pastor John or Pastor Jason or you. You know, you pastors, you got a whole bunch of faith. How do you know that? How do you know there's times that it's our faith and times we're just winging it? (laughs) You don't know that. You say, oh, my goodness, that happens. You bet. There's times when our faith is deep and it's solid and it's, it's firm. And there's other times we just throw up our hands and say, dear God, help us. See, it doesn't take that overwhelming faith for this man that was walking back to his son. All it took was his obedience when Jesus said, go back home your son lives. And when he turned, when he turned and began to walk away, he began to exercise his faith. That's all it took. Because a spark of faith can turn into a flame of faith. So how do we do that? Start where you are, just like you did when you learned to walk. When you came out of your mother's womb, you did not hit the floor or hit the ground running. In fact, you just hit the ground. (laughs) You couldn't even crawl. You just plop. There you are. 
But as you begin to take nourishment and the nutrition came and the body to begin to develop, you begin to now be able to move your extremities. You begin, was able to raise your head. You now could move your body around and you begin to crawl and you begin to get up on your hands and your knees. That's what faith is. Just start where you are. You say, oh, but Pastor Donna, I just, I just, I don't have a whole lot of faith. Show me somewhere in God's word that God says, I want you to come to me, all you who have lots of faith, and I'll do great things for you. Sometimes all it says is, go your way and sin no more. Sometimes all he says is, take up your bed and walk. Sometimes all that he is saying is, follow me. You see, it's not difficult, but it does require obedience. Now, let's look at the 51st verse in John chapter 4. While he was still on his way, I can't imagine what's going through dad's mind right now. Because you see, that was a few years before cell phones. And he had turned and left Jesus. Now he's in between the one who was doing miracles and his son who was dying. He was kind of in no man's land. But it says as he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. That's not a coincidence. First of all, because seven is the number of perfection, that just fits. And secondly, seventh hour in Capernaum was about one o'clock or so where Jesus was at in Cana, and there was, there was this difference of time going on. And that what he's saying is, at the time that Jesus said, go home, your son lives, was the exact time that the son began to get better. So he and his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judah to Galilee. Here's the thing. God is not a God of coincidence. God is not a God of happen chance. God knows exactly what he's doing. And we could talk about healings and miracles all morning long. And not from a book or not from a theory or not from some individual personality, but simply because of the experiences that I've had in my life. But I've had enough of them to know that there's times in our life where it just takes that step of obedience. My senior year in high school, this is, this is great. I don't wish this on anybody. Senior year in high school, the year you're supposed to be excited about getting out of school and going to college or going to work or whatever you're doing. Hepatitis, mononucleosis, car accident, which resulted in a dislocated liver, cracked floating rib, and two concussions. My senior year. I think what happened was the teachers looked at my grades and my attendance and said, this poor boy's been through enough. Send him through. 
because I didn't take my finals. I didn't take half of the test that year. And I think this guy has suffered enough. Let's just send him through. But this I can tell you. Every one of those things that I experienced, God healed me of. Some instantaneous, some progressive. But I know that I know that I know that I know that at that young age of 15 and 16, when I just began to exercise a little faith, Jesus came to my rescue. Jesus came to my rescue. And the same hour that Jesus said, go back to your home, was the same hour his son was healed. See, here's how God works. Think with me just for a moment. Jesus could have died on a different day, on a different hill, at a different place, between different thieves, and still died for the sins of the world. That could happen. But God orchestrated history for a man who needed Jesus. And the man hanging upon the cross said, Lord Jesus, remember me today. Somehow can I be in paradise with you? That's how exact and detailed God is, my friends, in our lives. It could have been another time, another place, another situation, and two different thieves. But God knew there was a man going to be hanging on the cross beside of Jesus that needed Jesus to rescue him. And even in his darkest hour, Jesus reached out in mercy and rescued this man. You see, Jesus came to rescue us from our past conditions, from our past sins. He is here today to rescue you from your separation from God from the brokenness of your world and the brokenness of your life. Jesus is here this very moment to rescue you from your situation. And you say, Pastor Don, I have a feeling I know what you're getting ready to do. You're getting ready to have all the elders come up. Just have some water, honey have all the elders come up and uh, they're going to bring their oil and they're going to anoint us and God's going to do some great things. No, here's what the Holy Spirit impressed on me today. The Holy Spirit says, I want you to say the same thing to the church that Jesus said to the royal officer. Go home. It's taken care of. Because here's my thought, friends, and I I believe, you know, we believe in laying on of hands, anointing with oil. I believe that with all of my heart. And I don't sense that I'm missing an opportunity today, but here's the thing. It's not in the oil that you will receive your rescue. It could be olive oil, mineral oil, motor oil, or castor oil. 
it just doesn't matter. Because the faith that we have is not in the oil. The faith we have is the power in the name of the one that we believe in. And when Jesus says it, it's completed. So he is here today to say to you, to say to me, every one of us throughout this sanctuary, I have come to rescue you from your present condition of sin and separation, from the brokenness of your world and the brokenness of your lives. I'm just about ready to dismiss us this morning, but I've asked John to come. There's a chorus we sang last week that just ties in with where we're at. And I've asked him to sing a verse and a chorus of it this morning. Listen, let it minister to your heart. What God began at 10 o'clock, he wants to continue on in this moment, in this God moment. Listen to the words and let him come and be your rescue today. said to his disciples come and follow me he's saying to you and I this morning come and follow me I have no power I have no authority for any healing any blessing any answer to your problems the only authority I have is based on the Word of God. 
And you say, but Pastor Don, you don't know how hard things have been. You don't know the power, the adversity that's been against, against me. But I can tell you this. Authority will always trump power. Authority will always trump power. And there's authority in the name of Jesus that I can say to you this day, go to your home. God's got it worked out. See, this whole time, while you've been trying to figure it out, God's been working it out. He's asking you to take that step of faith today without an altar, without anointing, without laying on of hands. I believe that the presence and the power of God in this room is strong enough that if you will follow Jesus and join him in the journey, he will come to your rescue. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for your presence, for the presence of the Holy Spirit that has not only come to energize and to minister to us, but for the presence of the Holy Spirit that brings us into truth. So, Father, I pray for this church family today. I pray for each of us that as we follow you, we are following you by faith that you, Jesus, will come to our rescue. There is not a pit too deep that you cannot pull us out of. There's not a valley too low that you cannot lift us up from. There is not a disease so desperate that you can't not save us from that. There's not a relationship that is so broken and fragmented that you cannot bring that back together again. So, Father, I pray today that myself and this congregation will go forward out of this building because you've said you'll take care of it and you'll come to our rescue. Now, Father, as we turn around and, and make our way for these doors, that's our first step of faith. We ask that you honor that. And we give you thanks and praise in your precious name. Amen. God bless you and have a great Sunday. Amen.